Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Seven Engineering Vibe Podcast. Now in this podcast, me and Dr. Ghanem Kashwani, we like to speak about different topics. And topics like what we want, for example, startup, entrepreneurship, new trend, mental health and career and self-improvement and self-engineering and sometimes another thinking major. We like also to interview other people from other fields. So we like to get the expertise on how they can benefit us and benefit society. So let us jump to the episode and thank you guys and wishing you the best. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning, good afternoon, good evening from where you are. In this episode, we spoke with Miss Mariam Raji. She's a PhD candidate at the University of Marble. Actually, she's been working, she took a master even before the American University of Sharjah and before she was taken a bachelor's in Sheffield in United Kingdom in control system management and other things. She's doing a thesis in, you know, and how impact of engineer after graduation, especially engineer, why people are leaving, especially female leaving engineer after graduation and after working in career field. Let us jump over it and it was an interesting episode. Take care and bye. So, hi, hi, Miss Mariam. How are you? I hope you are doing great. I am doing very well. Thank you. So can you introduce us more about yourself? Okay, so about myself, I have a degree in uh, control and systems engineering. So that's my bachelor's. I did that at the, in England. Okay. And then I also have a master's in engineering systems management. And that was in the UAE. That was at AUS, Sharjah. And now I'm in Australia. I'm doing a PhD in management, but my topic is actually related to engineers as well. So I am researching why engineers remain in engineering and why some of them decide to leave the profession and go to some other different fields. So that's just a summary about myself. Wow, it was, uh, wow, it was, was nice. It was short and concise summary. But I want to know, what is why, why you want to go to the taking a thesis and go into the PhD? Yeah, so why I decided to do a PhD. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a bit of a longer story, actually. So basically, I did my bachelor's in engineering, right? And um, I remember during my bachelor's, my bachelor's was actually engineering and business skills, okay? So during my bachelor's, I kind of got an interest in the way businesses are organized. I was doing each year, I was doing a course in the business school. Um, in England at that time. And I got more interested in the way business was organized. But anyway, that was just as a background, like a minor. So I finished my bachelor's in engineering. Um, I got a job as an engineer in a telecommunications company after graduation. Um, I worked for about a year. um, And then I decided that I wanted to do something a bit more interesting. Okay, because what I found was after working in telecoms, as an entry-level employee, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. Um, The work itself at the beginning was new and fascinating, but after a while, I understood what I needed to do, and the work did not change. (laughs) So basically, I'd come to work, and within two hours, I'd finished my work for the day. Um, And I was like, oh dear, like, this does not seem like a career I would like to continue in. 
So at that time, I decided to go and do a master's. So I decided to do a master's in engineering uh, systems management at AUS. And during my time, uh, whilst I was doing a master's, I got interested in research. Okay, so I got interested in research, and that's why I came on to do a PhD. And then I decided that, okay, if I'm going to do a PhD, I would really like to understand why engineers leave engineering, because one, I was already seeing myself leaving the profession, and two, I'd also realized that um, women tend to leave the profession uh, quite frequently like lots of women tend to leave engineering and I wanted to understand why I wanted to understand why that was happening it's sometimes called a leaky pipeline for women meaning that at the beginning of the pipeline there's lots and then as you go further down there's uh, leaks in a pipeline and fewer and fewer women so I wanted to understand why that was happening so really that curiosity led me to the PhD uh thanks out of i mean um out of let me and you we ask this question i think me and you we have uh this idea about the gender equality you know as since it is one of the system development goals um remember Marim, that me and you we talk about this why engineer leave engineer in general sometimes because of the payment you know i know other sectors they pay more than being um, an engineer on the side uh, and so what, why the bother to stay on the site and working in you know, the hard job that requires some physical um, strength? And sometimes, you know, uh, as you said in the pipeline, the, uh, the cohort of engineering, usually there is uh, um, enough number of women that they don't sustain. And there are many reasons. For example, in the, in the career itself, there is a lot of bullying against women. They don't give the chance, the, the equality, the rights. And at the same time, women, they are mothers and um, there is no enough understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know, um, Scandinavian countries, sometimes they help uh, the, their system and the work, help women to stay in their job as engineering. So maybe this is one point I want to discuss. Second point is that um, sometimes even if you people leave engineering because of the they go to managerial level, they can keep their uh, technical uh, engineering skills by getting the professional chartered engineering because they need to submit CBD all, all the years. So maybe these two points I want to discuss uh, about it, uh, about the environment that it helps you to stay engineering, either are, you are on managerial level or you have some home chores or, or regarding your gender. So what do you think about these ideas? Yeah, thank you. So just to answer the first point, did you say Scandinavian yeah. countries? Scandinavian, okay, yeah. So basically European countries, um, some countries in Europe, they help women to remain in the workplace in general. Um, so they have things like um, they, they pay women better, for example, um, like on paid leave, sorry, paid leave uh, whilst they're having like maternity leave, like for children and things like that. Unlike other countries like the US, um, in America, you'll be surprised to learn that actually employers do not have to pay women um, for going on leave to have their children, right? Um, and sometimes when women go on leave, then they come back and realize that their job is gone. Um, and then they say to the employer, well, I said I was coming back. And the employer is like, well, sorry, I, I know you said you're coming back, but I didn't really know that you're going to come back, right? But yeah, there are certain countries, for example, in Europe, they, they have um, better 
opportunities for women in that respect that they help them to keep their jobs. Um, I understand this country is like, um, Bulgaria is not actually a Scandinavian country, um, but someone was telling me, a Bulgarian um, person here at the university was telling me that you, a woman can take leave up to eight years after the birth of a child. Um, obviously, not all of that would be paid at full pay, but the point of it is that her job would be it would be waiting for her whenever she went back to the workplace, which is impressive, really, because knowing that the job is still going to be there, I will encourage someone to um, return to the workplace. But if, you know, women realize that even going back, they're going to face so many challenges, then, of course, that makes it even more difficult to go back. Um, but yeah, in Australia as well, unfortunately, uh, women do not have such a great time in the workplace. Um, and sometimes they do lose their jobs if they um, go on extended leave, like for maternity and things like that. Um, but yeah, if more countries uh, would implement laws that would um, basically make employers retain jobs for women and make the environment more suitable for women, I think it would go a long way to help women to remain at work, whether or not they have kids. You know, it's not really just about kids. Sometimes, even if a woman does not have children, the employer is already saying, you're going to have kids in five years from now. I need to plan for you to be away, you know, um, and they're already making plans sidelining the woman. You know, that shouldn't be happening. Um, so that's hopefully is addressing your first point. And then your second point about if engineers um, rise high into like managerial positions and the possibility of returning into um, into the profession, like in a technical in a technical role, um, I think really that would be something that is very very useful. Okay, because at the end of the day, we need engineers and we also need people who can manage engineers, right? And we need people who understand both perspectives. Um, so definitely those kinds of professional qualifications like being chartered engineer and so on, it keeps engineers in touch with the profession. You know, even if they kind of veer off into some other things, like some other interests, but if, as long as they continue updating their professional um, their professional qualifications and their professional engagements, then hopefully it would be um, it would be easier for them to return into like an industry role. Uh, but then it's also important that employers recognize those. You know, it's one thing for someone to keep updating their skills, and it's something else for the employer to actually recognize those skills. So it, it goes both ways, really. I love what you said about it, especially like you know that sometimes we have we have not have like 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 gender equity friendly in workplaces in many areas in the world, which really, which really, which really we agree with that, especially in, especially in engineering firm, like, especially in engineering firm, because where it is really tough, tough market, and where there's a lot of, you know, masculinity there, and there are a lot of things there, because, for example, like, uh, as per survey, because recently, in current need, we see a lot of people start leaking, as you said, start moving out from engineering to other fields. Not only female, even men, but female are more because and even like like even it's already that the percentage of graduation from female from STEM majors are low because I think last surveys are saying nine to ten percent only from all STEM engineer from all STEM graduates of the world are female, something like that. So yeah, I agree with you. 
you know, especially, especially, especially some work, but especially like, for example, construction. And construction, it's tough. It's a tough market, especially in many areas. What we never see, like, it's a female-friendly job. It's a female-friendly place where the where the where the where the where the, where the lawyer, especially where the where the employer, have to make, for example, uh, a job-friendly place, some area, for example, like okay. Besides, okay, we understand there's maternity leave and all this stuff. For example, like bringing kids to the workplace. Or, for example, having a nursery. So, do you believe that workplace shall be like female friendly or man friendly? Like you can bring your kids to the to the office, or you can have off work from have something like work from home, something like that. Like we can have like what to call mom friendly or woman friendly workplaces, family friendly yeah. workplaces. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so. To begin with, actually, the numbers uh, with engineering, right, the numbers of, you know, the, the gendered numbers in engineering, men and women, it's actually interesting if you scrutinize those numbers and see what they look like in different regions of the world, right? So see now Australia, um, Australia has, well, the number of female engineering graduates, maybe what, like 25% of the engineering graduates are female, Um in you know the US and the UK, basically the US, the UK, Australia, it's not more than 25% in each of these regions, right? But if you go to other parts of the world, like you look at China, right? China's got more than 40%, you know, of wow. the female, of the engineers are female. Yeah. But you're saying, wow, it's not just China, it's also Malaysia, the UAE, wow. right? Even Qatar you know, um, and Oman, they have like such high numbers of engineering graduates, like Oman's got what, like 50% of engineering graduates are female, according to some uh, world um, statistics from, um, I believe, the um, the UNESCO statistics, okay? So what you see really is that certain parts of the world have more um, they have better gender balance with regards to women graduating from engineering, right? So that's just the graduates. Uh, but then the next question really is after they, they've graduated, then what next, right? Um, are they able to find suitable jobs? And then are they able to remain in those jobs? Okay. Um, so as you mentioned, for example, in civil engineering, um, it's possible that because of the, you know, the long working hours and construction and the, the general atmosphere of, you know, construction and civil engineering, like outs in the sun and things like that, um, that sometimes employers prefer men in those positions, right? So what does that mean for a female civil engineering graduate? Does that mean she will not be able to get a job? Um, we would hope uh, we would hope that that doesn't deter her from getting a job and it doesn't constitute uh, an obstacle to getting a job and that she can still get a job. Um, but then what is the what happens after she's got a job? Right. So what you have then in Western parts of the world. So like, for example, in the US, um, the UK, Australian stuff is one women already face the, you know, the that obstacle to get in the job but when they do get the job what happens then is that 
they expect her to behave like men. <laughs> so in the workplace, uh, the workplace is like you're hired to do a job. You're an engineer, so you basically work. You know, even if the job requires you to be on site for 18 hours, well, then you just need to do those 18 hours. I'm sorry, even if you have two kids at home, this is your job and you have to do it. Um, and then, of course, it becomes kind of difficult sometimes for women to maintain that kind of um, uh, balance between their jobs and their personal lives. Um, but so some women basically would end up, you know, leaving, right, because they cannot maintain the balance. And some of them might leave to different engineering jobs if they're able to find it. And some of them might leave the profession entirely, unfortunately. Um, so what we really need in the profession is we need an environment that encourages women to remain and yet to be able to um, basically be women and also to be engineers. Just because you're an engineer doesn't mean you need to be a man, right? I mean, you don't need to be a man to practice engineering. So we really need to change um, the way we think about the engineering job itself. Um, so those are like situations in like the Western parts of the world. But then in, in the UAE, for example, and in the eastern parts of the world, um, like the Arab Gulf states, um, I think some of the challenges that women face in those regions are different. Um, they're somewhat different in the sense that a woman would not even be expected to remain on site for 18 hours to begin with. Even if there is a site job for that long, um, she would either come during her normal working hours for eight hours or... Um, she probably would not even be assigned to that job to begin with. Uh, but then obviously that raises a different set of questions that really what kind of engineering experience are women being exposed to in, you know, in the Arab regions, right? Are they able to get the full experience of engineering or are they limited to office work, right? So we then find that women sometimes have to fight to get, you know, allocated to jobs on site. Uh, but then on the positive side, on the positive side, even when they do get allocated to jobs on site, at least they know and they're comfortable in the, in the knowledge that they do not have to work crazy hours, right? They can always, you know, leave to go back home to their families and will not be penalized for that. So I think some of that um, that we see, it really helps women. Um, to remain in engineering in those regions. Um, but then it's also something of a cultural issue, right? Because even though it helps women in the Arab countries, um, in, in Australia, for example, or in the US, it would be quite difficult for an employer to understand that, um, that there should be different rules for men and women. It's something that would not be very, very easy for them to, to understand. So there, there is that challenge, to be honest. Uh, so, Mary, my second question is that to sustain the engineering as not only as a title, as a skills, do you believe the, the mentoring, being mentee or mentors, it helps you to do that? I mean, sometimes, you know, for some reason, you need, you need to stay at home. You need to be an entrepreneurship. You go in a different way, you know, regarding the engineering. But to sustain, the, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Many people, they believe in mentoring, you know, that you mentor some people, young engineer as voluntary work or 
so that you keep it. You know, I think mentoring maybe it is one of the way informal way that you can keep your engineering skill. Do you think mentoring and being mentees or mentors is a good approach to sustain the engineering skills, both for female and male? Yes. So I think mentoring really helps um, people in their careers in general. Um, regardless of whether that person is an engineer or in a different career, even for academics, mentoring helps because it helps you to understand, you know, what options are open to you in the career and, you know, um, how you can implement flexibility in your career planning. So it's something that helps for both men and women, and especially for women, because women have certain you know, they, they need to consider other things besides their career. They need to consider their families, right? And whilst they're planning their career, they need to consider family disruptions, right? Um, that when they have children and they plan these maternity leaves, how do you come back to work after a two-year break and prove to the employer that you are still, you know, fully capable of delivering as an engineer? So that's something that really a mentor can help and say, look, I've done this before and this is how I went about it. So they can, for example, help women to basically keep a portfolio of the tasks that they're doing uh, right ahead of time, even before they go and leave. And then, you know, tell them that these are the things that you need to do whilst you're on leave so that when you return from leave, you can show your employer that, yeah, just because I've been away doesn't mean that my skills are rusty. Right. So uh, definitely mentors um, can help both men and women in planning their careers and generally in navigating um, the engineering workplace and in navigating the entire um, the entire career plan. So, yeah, I, I strongly believe that mentorship is something that can help. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. What you said about mentoring shall be important, because to be honest, whenever I have mentored when we graduate in high school, when we have to even. So I believe you should, you should be mentored about it. And I love what you said, like in the question, like, you know, like, like the culture issue, like, you know, like, especially in the, in the Middle East, for example, like, so, because like, like, for example, like, uh, in the, like, especially in the construction side, like, people tend to have men, because they can work for long hours, for example, because culturally, culturally, as you said, culturally, most of the employer will not hire, will not, will tend to hire men rather than women because of the work hour. Because, you know, culturally, we, can, we cannot make, make like a woman work 18 hours per day, which is something crazy. With that Even for humanities. <laughs> yeah. 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 Different, different humanities. Like, so, and, to, and this is, we'll have like, we'll have this quality, and, but it will be on the positive side. So, do you believe that it shall be like, like employer or employer or some patient, like somebody sit back, like to be equity, like to have, okay, men and women should work only eight hours per day. So, this will lead to increase. Or like something like you know, have at least at least a balance between female and men in the in the workplace. Like for example, like you have like like maximum working hour, something like that. For men as well as women. Yeah, like equity, equity workplace. Okay. Like. Okay, so that's actually called equality. Right. Yeah. So there's a difference between equity and equality. Yeah. Right. So um, it's a bit of a subtle point. Uh, but the thing is, equality is what tends to be implemented in Western countries, which is they say whether you're a man 
or you're a woman, you have been paid to do this job. So you have to do it even if it means working 18 hours a day. So that's equality. Um, but then what we have in the Middle East is what's called equity, which is, okay, a man and a woman are being paid to do this job. However, because you're a woman, um, it seems unfair to ask you to work these extended hours because you have other obligations as a woman. Um, so that's actually called equity. And it's not seen as being unfair. It's just seen as being more equitable to the woman. Um, so I think really um, the, the bottom line is the job has to be done, right? Someone needs to do that job. It needs to get done. At the end of the day, you know, for the company to make profits, that job has to be done, right? So uh, the thing is, if we have an open system where both men and women can be allowed to do that job, well, then that's good. But the reality is, in the Middle East, I am not sure that the women, excuse me, female engineers in the Middle East would be open to have that system change such that they would be required to work the same kind of hours as men. Um, whilst men, on the other hand, would probably be okay with working reduced hours. I mean, even men want to spend more time with their families, right? Uh, but if that would come at the expense of women working longer hours, I think it might we might begin to see fewer women in engineering remaining in the engineering workplace. Because also from a cultural perspective, cultural perspective is something that women are not used to so <laughs> you need to have some kind of understanding right that if a woman says you know I, I I need to go home to my family it would be a bit um you know I can actually imagine that sometimes if a boss would ask a woman to remain 18 hours I'm sure the next day her husband's going to call him and say what did you do to my wife <laughs> How could you ask her to work 18 hours? Halas, she's not coming back to work for you, you know, <laughs> something like that. So I'm not sure that the, the environment in the Middle East is actually ready yet for that kind of, you know, equality. And to be honest, I'm not sure it's a good thing. You know, I'm not sure it's a good thing because it's, it's a totally different environment. What we find is, for example, women from Western countries, when they go, to the Middle East to work. Um, some of them, they're like, they had such a good time. They're like, I'm not, I'm not going back. They're like, I'm not going back to the UK to work because they, they have, you know, they, they enjoy it more um, in the Middle East. I remember last time I was there and someone was telling me, she was like, oh, I look forward to Ramadan. I mean, like two hours less every year. Like that is so great. <laughs> and you get paid the same salary. Um, at like two hours less for a whole month. Like that's just great. Right. So it's something that if the women here in Australia, in the US, the UK, if they had that access to do their work um, in a way that would not interfere with their other commitments as women. Right. And they would still be able to progress in their careers. I think it would be something that many women would uh, it's it would be something that many women would grab, basically, they, they would really want to have something like that. Because really, the challenge for women is balancing, showing that, yes, I can do my job, right? And yes, I can handle my family. It's not just about doing the job and handling the family, but also having other people believe that you are actually doing this, right? It's not just about doing it. It's not just about doing the job. But what we have then is an environment where they think, oh, yeah, you're doing it. But, you know, remember two weeks ago, you had to go home early. 
kind of thing. Whereas in the Middle East, it would not really be an issue. Two weeks ago, you have to go home early. Yeah, sometimes even men have to go home early, right? Yeah. So, yeah. But it's interesting. Do you think that it's something that men would be, would like to see happen? That women be made to work similar hours that they would be, that they like, would work as well? Like, in my opinion, it's not like they have to, both of them have to work 18 hours. Like, for example, a maximum cap, for example. Like, for example, yeah. like working eight hours per day, they shall be like, only are allowed to work, for example, from eight to five, something like that, for one yeah. moment. Because my, what my point, what I'm to start, if we have like a cap, we have capping maximum working hour, like for example, like eight or nine hours, I believe more women would join to the workplace. So because employers and that, that they will have, it's okay for him, whether he hire man or, or female. So we have like, we'll have equidistance, like because at the end, you're worse if you have to work like eight to nine hours. I get your point. Yes. So yeah, I get your point. So yeah, in Australia, for example, if you had a maximum number of hours and the employers cannot make an employee work beyond those hours, then yeah, I think definitely women would would be encouraged to remain and it wouldn't be an issue. So yeah, I, I get your point now. Yeah. Yeah. Because for example, what happened, more employer like prefer to work when, you know, especially in construction, because, you know, because, because men are okay for them working 18 hours. So what, how to make it a win-win place? Like, okay, we can cap, cap the maximum work hour. Like, for example, instead of working, like, for example, 18 or 16 hour construction, we can work like nine hours per day. Max, yeah. for example, we have like something like that. So the employer will have tend to work, will bring more female to the workplace. So we'll have like equity, equity like, you know, yeah. equality, like equality, where men and women for working only like eight to nine hours per day. So we'll yeah. have more, increase, we'll increase more female in the workplace. Yeah, I think also it goes back to the nature of the job um, that the job would probably, job tasks would need to be redesigned, right? To ensure yeah. that they feel safe, that, you know, things do not happen that uh, basically would need, you know, someone to be there for 12 hours to fix it. So basically need more time spent in planning. This is just me talking as a systems engineer in general, um, that, you know, instead of pushing a system to go live, as quickly as possible, it probably mean that you would need to spend more time in planning during regular hours, such that when systems go live, you know, the possibility of it failing and requiring someone to work 24-7, you know, it would be less. So yeah, yeah, that that's yeah, that's something that would need to be considered generally in the industry. Because um it's it's actually interesting because sometimes the way men I'm sorry, I don't mean to be gender biased here, but sometimes the way men work in engineering, um, sometimes they're like, let's just get this launched and then we'll fix the issues after, right? Sometimes men are like that. Typical construction. (laughs) Typical construction project. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll fix the issues. Then the work done, let us get the one tank, we'll later we'll think about that. Exactly. And they're like, there's this saying that, you know, if if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, Whereas the women would tend to spend more time planning to make sure that the the work is actually, you know, very well done, such that it's less likely to fail. Because as a woman, it's actually not convenient for a system to fail when you've already gone home. You don't want to be someone to call you whilst you're at home saying, you know, this emergency happened, right? So the women try their best to make sure that it's, you know, it's all good before it goes live. 
so there's that tension, really. There's that tension. But I think it's a discussion that should, you know, that employers should be having and, and managers should be having with their engineers that, OK, do we need to change the way we think about engineering planning and delivery? You know, yeah. I like that, especially now, that now because now it will open a new topic, like how the construction will carry it out, how the planning will carry it out. Because to be honest, like when you change the work of construction and work, how the planning work out, there will be a little bit, you know, there will be a little bit, you need to change many things, really, you need to change many things, like you need to change how the construction work. That will cause a little bit like, for example, more, like more time, more planning as you said, even construction, for example, it will have more duration of the project, instead of the project having two years, it will go to four years, and that will be, you know, a huge interesting discussion, yeah, so I, yeah. I agree with you. I agree with and you especially that. since, you know, engineering projects, however well you plan, is still possibility that it's going to fail. So, yeah, I never see projects finish on time in my, <laughs> yeah. in my experience. So now going on, like, because, you know, for all your thesis, like I love the thesis when I saw your thesis, you know, and when I got your, I got your kids surveying thesis, it's a, it's a fascinating question. And which was people, you know, how from entering from, you know, with entering like from the entry level, the engineer from entry level, like how he faced, how things even the workplace, how challenges, how difficulties, how difficulties. And I said that you want to got exposed more, like why why people are tend to leave the engineering from the first place. So do you think like there's a big gap between education and career life? Okay, so that's that's an interesting question um, because it really. I think actually the question is, the question depends on what we think education should provide, right? So really, okay, so it's in, you know, to be fully technical, it's actually a question for educationists, right? Um, but then what exactly is the role of the university, right? Um, so that's a question I would think to ask myself, that is it, you know, the role of the university, is it to equip students to help them learn the skills that they will need um, to succeed in their career as a whole? Um, or is it to train students in specific scenarios that they would encounter in their careers? Okay. And, you know, depending on the way you look at it, um, it, it would really change the answer, right? So it really is about expectations and matching expectations to the reality. Okay, um, so some people may argue that it's sufficient for university to just provide students with skills for lifelong success, you know, so they can adapt to any situation that they encounter, you know, they just have general skills and they can fall back on those skills and hone them um, to specific situations. And others may say, no, the education needs to be more targeted. Um, and it really depends because um, if you target the education and you make it highly targeted, then what that means is, one, the graduate is very great at what they do, but two, there's only so much that you can teach and train. So that means the person graduates from a bachelor's, literally almost like a PhD, meaning they're very good, but at only a very tiny thing, you know, a very tiny scope is what they're good at. But at that thing, they're excellent, right? But then on the other hand, you could provide a generalist education where they have the skills to basically expand and 
um, they can, they're like basically a chameleon, right? They can just change and adapt depending on the situation, right? And yeah, so it really depends on what people think is the purpose of a university education. And I think it's, it's, it's also about what people expect. So when people expect one thing and they get something else, that really is a, is a problem. So if someone expects to go to university and learn one thing, and learn it very well and become an expert in it. And then they go to university and they're taught history and they're taught, you know, um, I don't know, current affairs as well as engineering and this and that. They might think, oh, what's the point of this, right? I came to university to learn how to code and, you know, create websites and this and that. And you're teaching me history, like seriously. Um, So it really depends. It really depends. And what we will see really is with engineering, even in engineering, there are different skills that, that are required. And the engineering curriculum is actually, it's, it's, it's see, see if someone is a software engineer, for example, right? Software engineer, you go to university, you learn these software languages, right? The ones, the languages you need to code and so on. And you're almost good to go. Literally, you're almost good to go because they, you know, that's all the background that you need. Um, that's mostly, that's most of the background that you need to actually do the software um, coding. But then that is at the beginning of your career, right? Because a few years into your career, will you still be doing lots of coding or will you be doing a bit of management? So it, it depends. Whereas for a civil engineer, for example, or some other like an industrial engineer or something, um, that kind of engineer, even from the beginning of their career, they're not just doing that one thing they're already interacting with stakeholders. They're already doing so many other things, right? So what we find is even within engineering, depending on the discipline that that person is in, it actually, um, they, they sometimes need different skills. Um, so that's something that I think universities need to be aware of and possibly tailor the curriculums to make sure that they're not just providing a template right, but they're really equipping students for the workplace that they're going out to meet upon graduation. I like that, what you said about it, especially, for example, you said, like, okay, university shall start, you know, I start adapting and changing their curriculum, for example, because, for example, to be honest, like, from my personal experience, okay, like, when I study my seven engineer, we take mostly technical and introduction in many fields, but when you, when I graduate, like the connectivity for, for my, in my case was like 10 to 15% only. I can't use it even not 10 10%. So it was like only a, mainly about communication skill, about technical skill, soft skill, emotional intelligence skill, about this communication leadership skill and, and some management, of course. So do you believe this is a skill also like the university territory? Okay, I'm not telling to remove fully the technical part, but to start including, for example, to start adapting more, more syllabus. Like, for example, they start more in the syllabus, for example, in, in curriculum, for example, like adding more to, more like like more of the soft skill, like communication skill, technical skill, emotional intelligence skill. How to think because to be better dealing in the, for example, resilient with a new topic these days and well-being of engineer, because, you know, engineer always under stress. So, you know, these courses to be really useful for them. So to really this course shall be adapted in the universities. Okay, so that's something that could help, 
But what I would also like to draw your attention to is the fact that sometimes the students that go in to study engineering to begin with, sometimes some of them don't actually like to study things like that at the beginning until maybe later when they begin their careers and they realize they need it, right? But if you, you know, rewind backwards to when they were, you know, 17, 18, they don't want to read books. They just want to do formulas and get it over and done with, right? That's the mentality. So trying to teach those kinds of soft skills to people at that level, sometimes you might encounter a bit of resistance because they don't realize that they need it. Um, but then obviously, um, because the university hopefully knows better and knows that they will need it in the future, right? So it would be something that would be helpful to incorporate in curriculums because it's like, okay, I know you don't really want to study, you know, all these soft skills now, but believe me, you know, five years down the line, you're going to need it. So you might as well just study it now. Um, so yeah, it's something that would be useful, but then we also, I think we need to we need to bear in mind that sometimes students might, they, they might be against that to begin with. I mean, I know that because I taught some undergraduate students uh, back in the day when I was at AUS. And sometimes they come up to you and they're like, really, what's the point of this? <laughs> they're like, I just want to do engineering, right? Why are we doing this? Um, so we get that. Uh, but really, it's also, I think, educating the students themselves that, look, these are things that you will need in the future. So just be calm and just learn it now and, you know, get all the skills you need before you get into the workplace. Yeah. And then also what we need to realize is that continuous, um, continuous learning and, you know, further education is something that's always available, right? Just after someone's graduated with a bachelor's doesn't mean it's the end right? Just because someone has a degree doesn't mean it's the end, right? There are, you know, someone can get a diploma in, you know, in some kind of management, project management, and so on and so forth. So people need to understand that there are additional opportunities to improve themselves, right? And it's not, it's not just, you know, you graduate with a bachelor's and, and that's it. There's always a chance to continue to learn and to continue to improve and develop. So, yeah. Yeah, quite interesting. Like, you know, you have to have the continuation development plan. You have to have to continuation. Like, you can take courses these days. Like, for example, there are many websites that can give you online course, like Coursera, Udemy, like UDX, EDX, sorry, EDX, and many courses like that. You can go even LinkedIn Reading these days where they have, you can have a lot of online courses there. You can take and take some certification, something like that. So it's quite interesting, yeah. And also, like I said, like you said, we start tearing them, tearing them about that. And also because now, shall we expand career education to the school level? Because, for example, I'm, I have an opinion, like, I don't know, I have a theory. Because there are, in my opinion, many people, many times engineers leave the, the engineering fair because to be here, because of it, because they leave to go to other measures. Because in my opinion, like, they, maybe she shows it in the beginning wrong and they don't have career experience or they don't have the career experience and they have career expectation. So shall we have career education from, at least from a from education from school, start teaching it from a school level? For example, because to be honest, like, to be honest, like in the school, they never teach us any career education. Like, like how is, how is the career life? How is the career? How to be resilient? What type of education you want to be? Because when I started to know, I, I didn't know anything rather than engineer, to be honest, in my opinion, and in my, in my time, I didn't know anything rather than engineer. And that's you said because I, I was nerd in math and physics, to be honest. So I love to listen, I love math and physics. So do you think that career education shall be taught from 
school level? Yes, yeah, so that's interesting. Actually, you bring up the issue of you, the 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 main exposure you had growing up was really about engineering, and there doesn't seem to be that much exposure about other careers. But I think that may be something that's changing. No, in the education curriculum, I think now they're having people from like the Ministry of Education talking to them in secondary schools about different careers. Someone told me about this, um, but I I think they're having things like that, and then they have like teams and competitions about about other kinds of careers. Um, someone was telling me about this in the UAE. Um, so I'd hope that that's something that's already happening because, yeah, people need to have, uh, students need to have more options than just medicine or engineering. I mean, life does not revolve around being a doctor or an engineer. Um, there's so many other things that someone can be. And even within engineering, there's so many different kinds of engineering that um, a student can study. Um, so yeah, I think career engi- career education is something that's useful at a young age, but it's also something that's useful at university, right? So in the first year at university, University. Um, half the time people come in, they're like, oh, I want to do this. Some people come in and they're not really sure what they're doing. They're only doing it because their friends are doing it, right? Uh, but then if you have like career um, talks and, you know, career advisors who actually sit down and talk to these uh, students, they can help guide them in the proper direction. And in the first year of university, it's not too late, right? It's not too late. I knew someone who changed their major in, I think, the third year, right? It was until the third year, they're like, oh, no, I'm not doing this major. I'm doing a different major. Like, seriously, third year, you already lose so many years, right? But if there's already um, career advisors also in the university, not just in secondary school, um, then I think that would definitely help. Universities need to understand that just because someone signed up for a course, Um, at the beginning doesn't really mean that they want to do that course, right? I think universities, they're just assuming that, you know, you sign up for engineering, yeah, let's just move you into engineering and, you know, keep going. Uh, But it doesn't always work like that. Um, I think maybe that's why they sometimes have like breadth subjects and minors and things like that. So you can have a, you know, a wide exposure. But even then, career advice is still needed. It's still needed, especially because even when people are at university, they don't really know what the experience is on the job. On the job itself, they don't know what it's like. But this is something that universities can do. They can bring some of their alumni to come and talk to the students at a day in the life of a construction engineer, for example. You know, And then people come and they listen, like, is this something that I want to do? I, right. So I think that would definitely help. I yeah. agree with you with that because, for example, Now I hear now, now yes, and especially in Dubai, the start in, in Dubai, there are some schools start teaching career education from middle school, from seventh grade. They start getting it like a course, like a once in a week. There are some programs that start now here in UAE, in Dubai, like recent in UAE recently. Some schools already start that. So I agree with you. It's interesting because to be honest, in my time, and I agree with you, like career education shall be like, for example, bring someone from the field and tell her about how is his experience. Uh, because to be honest, like I assume like, you know, when I, when I joined seven engineer, only like I would design, like, you know, when you see this high tower, oh my God, I will design mm-hmm. only the building. There is, we don't need the, yeah. the journey and the experience. Someone has to tell you what about, okay, okay, you will do building eventually, but there are a lot of things working going on. Like, for example, you will work 16 hours per day. There will be concrete night. There will be like technical. There will be some stressful diet. There will be no, no holidays. There will be like, you know, something like handing over. There will be some communication. 
you need this, 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 this. Someone has to teach you, like only because unfortunately, even like I see some people they teach you what what a civil engineer, a guy who built building. Oh, like I want I want to be the guy who built building. Maybe you're a structural engineer. You're sitting in your life doing only design or sitting in the busy, but you don't like it. But you don't, or for example, you're sitting in the construction doing like 19 hour in the day construction work, which you don't it didn't like it. So I agree with you. Someone has to come, alumni have to go and discuss and talk about it. Even take a site visit, like at least visiting to our workplaces and to see how engineers doing there. That's important. Rather than just a four months internship in your third year. Do you believe? Do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Site visits are an excellent idea. They're an excellent idea and they can help people to actually decide because it's different when someone tells you about their experiences and you're like, oh, okay, that's what they do. Then when you actually see it yourself and you're actually there in person and you see it and you can imagine yourself in those shoes, is this something I want to do? I won't forget once uh, when I was in England, um, this was during my, still during my bachelor's, I went to a company, right, um, like a site visit, and this was one of the big uh, global uh, pharmaceutical companies, and we went on a site visit, okay, and obviously as a systems engineer, uh, it's like, okay, so what's an engineer doing in a pharmaceutical company, but really what we would be doing if, you know, if I was going to work there is we would basically be regulating the machines, right, to make sure that the machines deliver the correct dose of drugs into, you know, the instruments and things like that. And I kind of realized that actually this would not be a very interesting job. Um, you know, working in instrumentation and, you know, that's not very interesting because all you need to do literally is calibrate the machines, right? And just make sure it's running fine. And there isn't much room for innovation or for creativity or, you know, the whole point of those kinds of systems is to make sure it's doing the same thing every day. <laughs> so, some people might not mind that kind of job, you know, but then when you are there and you actually see it that, okay, this is what the person does, then you ask yourself, is this the kind of job I want to do, right? Because there are other options as a systems engineer, you could be working in some other more interesting field, you know, like with aeroplanes and things like that. So it really depends. Once you have a site experience, I think it really opens your eyes to actually see and imagine yourself in that position to decide whether it's something you're willing to commit your life to or not. I agree with you. Even for my opinion, to have to be like from school level, you start doing that, like in staff, like someone, you're seven break, you can have to have a program where you can go at least to some workplace, like for a week or two, to see how people doing that. For example, you want to be civil engineer, you want to design building, okay, maybe you want to, for example, you be inside or design, go one week in structure and see how what structure people do, or go to the construction and see what they do to the site. So we understand, is that what you want? Is that what is in what skill? That is a skill required. You want it, uh, and this is what you want in the, what you want in your real life, like in the future. So that could be really that would be interested. So I, so I agree with you. Just it should be more side visit rather than internship at the end of your final year, and that's it. When it is too late. Yeah, sometimes it's not too late, but the problem with the internship sometimes is you might even have an internship in the wrong kind of company, right? And then you're like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I already graduated with the wrong degree, but really it's just that that particular internship 
was not ideal for you. But if you looked in a different kind of company, you would actually have a better experience. So yeah, it's, you know, the experience, there is no substitute for experience. Um, If someone has a wider experience of what the different job options and career options available to them, I think it definitely helps. Um, before people actually commit themselves to a career. And also, I think people need to be open as well about career mobility, especially at the beginning, you know, not to be afraid to try something. And like, well, if this doesn't work for me, yeah, I, I can try something else. You know, you don't need to be stuck in a certain kind of job if you don't enjoy it. The great thing about being an engineer, whatever kind of engineering degree you have, is that you're flexible. You're flexible. And that's why you might have a civil engineer working in the airport, right? You might have a mechanical engineer working, I don't know, in a space station. You know, you're flexible as an engineer because you already have those basic skills that allow you to adapt to many different kinds of situations. So it's something that we need to be proud of and we need to really leverage in our our career plans and not um, not be too... Um, constrained and saying, oh, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer. I'm only going to work with cars, kind of. So, yeah. I can resonate with that, especially. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, the good thing, okay, even if you if you graduate seven years at the beginning of your year, you can work many things. Because I have a friend of mine, for example, who's graduated from seven engineer. He worked now as sales. And he loves sales. And he loves how to do sales, talk with people. Now he works as a sales engineer. Mm. He combines his engineering degree and with his sales. And now he can do sales engineer. What's quite interesting, because mm. to be honest, like working as a sales and engineer is better like working for as a normal sales, because, for example, you can have a multiple institute and you can talk easy with the client from a technical and from management level from sales. Thing. And I know many people like they use their engineering technical skill from engineer even doesn't have to be that the technical, the hardcore technical skill. For example, they can have like a soft skill from the engineer, like what they take, for example, resistance. For example, mobility, ability to solve problem, and they work something else. So I can resonate with that. Really, I resonated with that for you. So what well, what talking about your survey? Because to be honest, I feel your survey and see one of the interesting things, like it's taken people from people from like from entry level that I think to mid-career, I believe in my my opinion, to mid-career life level. So the the way of structure it, how do you structure it? Like to take it from only technical and soft skill or you just take it like purely like and from or you just only take it like uh, you take it from all aspect or you just take it only from one skill and that's it to be honest i the the um survey was designed to help me understand why people would leave um really depending on their experiences at different levels right so i want to understand you know could it be they had some experiences in the early career that led them to leave maybe in the first few years of employment or could it be more of the challenges that they're experiencing in their job at the moment right because sometimes people had a great experience at the beginning of their career but then when they get to middle career and the kinds of jobs that they do sometimes might change now they're in a supervisory role and then they struggle because as you mentioned earlier Right. Some people, um, some of us as engineers, we're not really trained in how to communicate with people and how to manage and supervise people. We are not trained in that very well. So it could be that they were great in the, you know, at the beginning of their career, they were great in doing their tasks. But then once they become 
um, they, they spend more time in the job, right? And then they get promoted, then they actually face challenges with the new uh, responsibilities that are required of them. Um, so it's really to help us understand, you know, where people are facing those challenges and, you know, is, is it to do with things in the organization, you know, could could some of it be to um, related to some things in the personal life that maybe there isn't really a good alignment between their personal life and the job that they're doing, right? So, for example, if someone needs to commute, um, to needs to commute like two hours every day to work, and then on top of those two hours, they're also working eight hours over time in a week, you know, that kind of builds up. Um, so all of those things, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm hoping to explore really in the survey to understand really where those issues are for people and also to understand what helps people stay, right? Could it be that because they have an excellent work environment, they have, you know, an excellent relationship with their colleagues and their supervisors and so on? Could it be because they see for themselves like excellent promotion prospects, like they can grow in the, in the organization or even in the profession? in general um, that there is no ceiling for for rising because that's something that some people have talked about that oh as an engineer you know I reach a place and that's it I can't go beyond that right and I want to go higher so you know that means I need to leave engineering right so that's something that it's it's important to actually unravel and that's why it's important for people to actually respond to a survey like this to help us understand what is helping you in engineering and what is holding you back, right? If you fill the survey, then we can, you know, analyze the results and present it. And hopefully organizations will take lesson from this and they will be able to implement better management systems to make your experience in the organization better than it currently is. And then hopefully also even generally stakeholders, policymakers and so on, they will also be able to understand what is it that engineers need to remain in the profession and what is it that we are currently doing that is not really helping them and we need to basically change the way we operate. Um, so, yeah, that's why I'm hoping that more and more people can respond to the survey. Um, I still need about 150 more responses, especially from the Middle East. Um, oh, bless you. And really the Middle East... <laughs> The Middle East is a, is a region where we really, unfortunately, we don't know much about the experiences of people in the workplace. So for every single person responding to that survey, you are really, you're, you're a representative of your community. That's what I'm telling you. You're representing your community by completing that survey because your voice will be heard, right? And if you want your voice to be heard, don't hide it. Complete that survey because you never know your employer might read the findings and your HR people might decide to implement those findings. So um, you won't lose much from completing the survey. It's only a few minutes of your life, but it could change. Um, it could hopefully make your career better and the careers of um, engineers after you. I like what you said, like, for example, because, for example, the first question, like my first part of the question would be like, I like what you said, like, for example, like sometimes you are sitting at a level like stagnation and you are not improving anymore or let the workplace is not challenging or not adding value to me anymore. Because this is, I had it personally and I, I feel it personally one of one of my time when like like when I was was I was working like one of the company, like I reached a level like in a stagnation level, not growing up, not improving, not challenging, not challenging myself. And even I'm thinking I was thinking that, oh, my God. 
it becomes that my job becomes so routine. Oh my God, what I'm doing even here. So I understand. Yeah, and that's something engineers don't like. Yeah. Very often engineers don't like routine jobs. They like challenges. You know, that's what we like doing. We like solving problems. Um, and when we don't have a problem to solve, <laughs> we create problems. Yeah, ask me. <laughs> we create problems. Um, and unfortunately, that's something that sometimes the human resources people do not understand, right? They don't understand the way we think, the way we operate as engineers. So there is, there is that disconnect sometimes. Um, but that is the more reason why engineers should contribute their opinions to like surveys like this, so that we can inform, we can, we can be that bridge really between engineers and like the management and like the human resource function and policymakers and so on. And sometimes even the company, sometimes it's not adding value to them, to other stuff and employees. For example, I see some of them, just, they don't have a value. Like what is that value? They are adding some, some goal in their, in their website and that's it. No, some people that have, recently I see some people joining because the firm like has some values. But unfortunately, sometimes when you see the firm not value, you yourself as an engineer, you start stagnate yourself. For example, like for example, you would be like, I want to work for, for wages and that's it. Yeah, yeah. So it also depends on what the organization values, right? Uh, because at the end of the day, people work in organizations and they get rewarded for what the organization values. So if an organization only values people coming at eight o'clock and leaving at 5 p.m., right, and not really valuing and rewarding what people do and the tasks they accomplish and the projects they complete, um, and they're only focusing on the time, then they get the time, right? They get the time. People come in at eight and leave at five and, you know, whatever happens to the job, it's not my business. Um, so really, there needs to be that communication that, okay, you know, this is what the organization values, and then people need to really uh, focus on that. And that would be the way to move ahead in a career, right? Because you're giving the organization what it values. Um, and then hopefully your career is also progressing in that manner. Um, I'm, I know that I take too much of your time. I'm, I'm sorry for that. So my final two questions, and I think I'm, I'm going to close for that. So my final, one final two question, like, do you believe like your survey is so fascinating? So because each and not only can, can only, can be HR company and even alumni offices and university can take it and can implement this to their alumni student. So can alumni people can add it and can impact, as you said, like, as we said previously, to the curriculum and to curriculum and can update and we can have at least better understanding what the engineer can face when he graduate. So they can teach well the undergraduate student or the new student or the new entry people student and what about any final thought from you yeah so ideally actually if i had been able to get more universities to collaborate on the study then if we had been able to get for example from you know each university in the middle east we'd been able to get i don't know 100 participants and so on we could actually be in a better position to tell universities that look these are the things that your graduates are experiencing in the workplace. You know, these are the skills that they feel that the university has provided them with. These are the gaps that your education has failed um, to actually supply them and fill those gaps. So universities could actually learn so much from that. Uh, but unfortunately, we obviously didn't get that much collaboration from the university. So it's not possible to give like uh, feedback, such granular feedback at, um, at that level. Um, so what we will have possibly at the end of the study is just a general 
um, a broader picture of what is happening to engineers in the Middle East. Um, and also, actually, just something I wanted to mention is um, one of the main points of this survey is I wanted to get the opinion of locals, right, locals of each country in the GCC. So UAE, like Emirati locals, Saudi locals, Qatari locals, and so on, to get their experience. You know why? Because many of the engineers in these countries are expats. But what is the experience of locals? What is the experience of locals? What is helping locals to remain in engineering? Because fast forward 20 years from now, what the government wants is that most of the engineers working in the workplaces, the government wants them, most of them to be locals, not expats. So we want to know what locals are experiencing and we want to know what locals want, what is good for them and what they do not want so that we can basically, you know, provide advice and recommendations that can improve the general workplace um, for locals, you know, in, e in each country. So um, I, I, yeah, I would like to use this opportunity really to call to locals um, in, in each of the GCC countries um, uh, to complete the survey and share your experience so that we can, yeah, so that we can help the entire region to move forward. Um, based on the local talents, because there is a lot of local talents. So really appreciate it. So any final thoughts from you? Um, yeah, I think really that was about everything. I would, it would be interesting to have a follow-up chat maybe in two years from now or something to see actually, you know, when all the results have been analyzed and see, you know, maybe talk about this a bit more and then obviously see what has happened hopefully once COVID has gone and um, and see what's happening with engineers in the workplace after that. But yeah, yeah, that would be my final thoughts on this. Thank you, Andini. We can put your survey, of course, in our show notes. We are always putting in show notes. But for, for example, we can promote it to and bleed everyone like for the survey, which is really helpful and very useful. We're going to give a, lot, a good result. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. So hopefully anyone wanting to fill that survey, please complete it within the next four weeks by September because I likely will be closing it after that. I need to get forward to analyzing my results and completing the thesis. Thank you. Thank you. you. Really appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. Thank, thanks a lot. Wow, it was a great episode. Yeah, quite interesting topic and interesting notes. So guys, do you love this episode? If you like it, Please share it to someone and tell them why this episode is supportive with you. Thank you, Kai, and wishing you the best. Take care. Bye. It was nice to meet you. And remember, guys, we raised by sharing the knowledge to everyone. Sharing is caring. It was nice to meet you guys and wishing you the best. Take care, guys, and wishing you the best. You guys have a good, good day and good night. Thank you.